I get it. You didn't click the link to listen to ads, so I'll be quick. I love coaching clinics. Whether I'm speaking at one or simply just attending, I love listening to coaches talk about how they do things while having the opportunity to connect with new coaches. At the same time, I have been able to connect with coaches all over the world through apps like Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And so many times I've had conversations with coaches and thought, I wish I could share this with other coaches. But then I had another thought. In the year 2020, why should a coach have to wait a couple months for the next great coaching clinic? If they're eager to learn, why can't we just put content at their fingertips? So we created the Film Room. The Film Room is our online education system for coaches that is designed to have everything in one place. From individual skill development and team drills to set plays and offensive and defensive systems, our platform is a one-stop shop for coaches of all levels. And best of all, it's free with literally no strings attached. For more information, visit basketballcatalyst.com slash filmroom. We're back. I'm happy to be back and bringing you another episode of The Drawing Board. I'm your host, Reed Osi, and today I have on Carson Shanks, an assistant men's basketball coach at University of Minnesota Duluth Division II School in the Northern Sun. It's a program on the rise. Carson, all seven feet, seven foot one of him, is a character, makes everybody laugh. I know he's a fan favorite to just about everyone who meets him. He had the opportunity to play at a couple Division One schools and ultimately ended up as a graduate transfer at Loyola, Chicago, and was on their team that played in the Final Four. We talk about his transition from playing to coaching. We talk through some of the funny moments that he's had over the years. We laugh a ton. I think you're going to enjoy this. So here's Carson Shanks. All right, we're on with Carson Shanks. Carson, thanks for joining us. Um, you know, as as we kind of get into this, you've been, you've had the opportunity to play in a Final Four. You've played at the Division One level, played professionally. Now you're coaching at a program on the rise. This is probably the first time in your life that you've had a spring where you've had nothing to do. How are you handling this? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I'm bored out of my mind. However. Uh... My coworker Casey Brueggemann does a great job keeping me uh, <laughs> do, doing his best to keep me focused from 200 miles away. Uh, but yeah, this is this is the first spring where there's no workouts, no. I mean, for me, no school, no. I mean, not like I really went to class, anyways. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, no classes to worry about, and you know, with this being my first year of really coaching. I you know, I was kind of excited for my first big spring of, you know, yep. rec- recruiting, being out on the trail. You know, obviously I did it last summer as well, but it was, uh, you know, still kind of in the process of getting this job. So I was really excited to, uh, to really kind of fill my spring up with everything UMD related. And obviously with what's going on, um, uh, <laughs> I'm twiddling my thumb just trying to figure out things to do. No, I, I believe that. I, I want to talk a little bit about your playing career and, and we're going to kind of jump all over the place. But when it comes, you know, from playing to coaching, what has been something that you have kind of found really exciting that you maybe didn't think was going to be as exciting about about the coaching journey? 
you know, the, the thing that has really stuck out to me, uh, you know, as, as a coach, obviously there's a, there's a little bit of a barrier that you have to put up uh, in your relationships with your players, you know, more so than when you're one of the guys, when you're one of their teammates. So I guess I was, I guess I was more expecting to, uh, you know, really kind of have to change my attitude a little bit more as far as how I build relationships and whatnot. But mm-hmm. thankfully this has been, you know, with the group that we had this past year, you know, it really kind of allowed me to be myself as far as, you know, how I like to go about doing things. Um, and we, we had, we had a group that, um, was just really accepting of that. And that, you know, that made me so much more comfortable in, in how I would coach them on a day-to-day basis. So I guess long story short, really the uh, being able to kind of acclimate my personality into, uh, into being a coach. I think what's really cool is I've gotten to know coach Wick. Obviously I've known Casey for a long time, having recruited him, been kind of close to their family um, with his brother and all of that stuff. But I look at the different personalities that you have on that staff and you fit in awesome in in the role of of being relationally driven. Not that those other guys aren't because I think they're also really good with relationships, but your personality, um, you got it. Your nickname is Big Fudge. You're just kind of the goofy guy, but you buy into that, right? Like that's who you are and that's allowed you to establish relationships along the way. So when you talk about kind of that role of transitioning from player to coach. How has your your role as a you know a player like when you were at Loyola kind of down that down the final four stretch, you know, you're kind of they're they're doing they're writing articles on you and you're the goofball and everybody loves you. You have a, a way to connect people through your personality in a positive way. How does that side of your personality obviously coaches got to be serious and got to go about their business, but that kind of jokester personality that has taken you this far how how does your experience as a player doing that tie into coaching you know i was really lucky uh to well to obviously be on that loyola team that that was uh you know to to be a grad transfer and to transfer into that that was uh you know i would would like to take all the credit for that but that was all (laughs) luck uh and as far as what I got myself into, but that, that final year at Loyola, uh, you know, with me just, you know, never necessarily cracking the rotation, it kind of allowed me to get a jump start on uh, kind of forming what I wanted to be as a coach. Uh, so there was obviously there's the responsibilities that I had as a player, but uh, it kind of allowed me to be a bit of a hybrid between a player and a coach. Uh, so as far as kind of cultivating how I wanted to go about coaching, um, you know, was, was really able to get that jump start uh, on all of it. And, you know, fast forward to now with me being in the coaching profession, the, you know, the ability to, you know, just be myself and, and use, uh, you know, the, the personality that I, that I've been given, uh, has been something that I really cherished as far as, uh-huh. yeah, really kind of worrying that I was going to have to, 
you know, be, you know, be a serious guy, which is just not, it's just not what I am. Mm -hmm. But like you said, there are those moments where you do have to buckle down just like you do as a player. But I think it's even more so as a coach, there's, there's those moments where you are going to have to get on guys. You are going to have to kind of, at least for me, get outside my comfort zone in terms of being really serious and stern with people. Uh, However, you know, with, with my personality, I believe that um, those times where we do really have to get down to business and be serious, uh, they seem to have a little bit more of an effect because that's just, you know, there, there's so many moments of levity mm-hmm. uh, that I have with our guys that it's uh, it really stands out to them when, when, when things have to get real and serious. I, I was listening to – Pat McAfee the other day and I love Pat McAfee because there's nothing serious about Pat McAfee but he used the phrase the gift of gab he goes you know (laughs) like when he got up and I don't know if you've seen the clip where he announced the Indianapolis Colts pick at the NFL draft a couple years ago and it is like one of the funniest clips I've ever seen he goes what do you expect when you give somebody with the gift of gab a microphone and 200,000 people cheering for him (laughs) right but one of the things that and you, you have that and, and tying that into kind of coaching, but also your experience at Loyola, you know, you guys get to the final, you guys get to the final four, but did you meet, beat Miami first? Was that, yep, Miami is, the first and time. was yep. it Ingram hit a three at the top? Yep. Dante Ingram. So yep. Dante hits a three. You guys are running all over the place, but as you keep winning games, Round of 64 and 32 and 16 and eight, right? You like my math there? I'm able to divide by two. That was was well done. But as you guys are going and you're playing in this, there's a sense of joy. Like you got, when they're they're doing interviews with you guys, you're smiling. Everybody's smiling. You guys are relaxed. Like you guys are like, hey, you're, you're just out there letting it rip. Now, I think that you can motivate through joyfulness. I don't think you can do it all the time, but by you being in that, the, that position of not necessarily playing, but you're joyful. Everyone, like you're doing interviews in the locker room, everyone around you is relaxed and having a good time, which in turn allows you guys to go play free and, and to be yourself. Talk to me a little bit about that Loyola experience. You know, one of my guys, Jacob Hudson is committed there. So I've gotten to know the couple guys on the staff um, got to spend some time around be rich. Um, talk to me a little bit about getting to Loyola, obviously not going to take any shots at Utah state or North Dakota, but how was that experience different from some of your other spot, other stops? But first off, uh, be rich is going to be really happy. You got a shout out. He's pretty <laughs> bored down at KC right now. I love so be rich. rich. <laughs> He's the man. Uh, anyways, the, you know, you, you, you had a pretty spot on as far as what kind of group we were. Um, you know, I think it's kind of a cliche uh, to an extent when you start talking about kind of accepting your role on a team. Um, you know, it's so much easier said than done. It's for me, you know, I, I'll be completely honest with you. The first half of the year, man, it was really tough for me to not play. I, I had never been in a situation like that where, I wasn't getting into games. You know, I had played smaller minutes, bigger minutes, whatever it may be, but I knew I was going to play at some point during the game. Uh-huh. So 
that first half of the year at Loyola, despite our success, there's always that personal element where it's like, man, like this is kind of embarrassing. Like I took a, I took a real shot here Mm -hmm. as far as grad transferring from North Dakota, where I guaranteed playing time to come to this, you know, this Missouri Valley school where, you know, I thought I was going to play a lot. And so that adjustment, you know, that didn't happen overnight. That was a, that was a gradual process of really trying to buy in. Uh, But, you know, it became easier and easier to kind of accept that role. And obviously during practice and everything like that, I was still fighting, you know, I was still fighting tooth and nail to try and gain some playing time. I wanted to play, but, but being around that group and just seeing kind of the selflessness that everyone kind of exuded, it was, you know, it became easier and easier to see, you know, even though I'm not playing, I do have a role to play in this. You know, if I have to be the jokester and keep everyone, you know, everyone loose and make sure things don't get too serious all the time, I'll do that. If I need to be the guy that lights a fire under someone's ass in practice because I'm going hard on the scout team, that's my role. So Mm -hmm. that uh, that run in the tournament, it, it really was, you know, even though there was guys like myself that weren't playing, we really did feel like we were a part of of the bigger picture. Um, so there was a real sense of joy because we were doing something that we never thought would be possible. Uh, and we just kind of t- just took it one game at a time, but the, yeah, the, the, I guess the joy that we had throughout that entire run was completely genuine and, you know, it was super easy uh, to be that way. Well, I look at, I think back to some of those conversations that you and I had, because I know how disappointed you were. Um, right away as you're going through it, didn't, didn't you hurt your shoulder, right? Shoulder popped yeah, I, out. Yeah. I tore my labrum, uh, like first week of practice. So you're going through that. And part of the reason that you went down there is they needed a five and right. they had this kid that they were going to red shirt needed to kind of trim some weight off of him named Cameron Crutwick. <laughs> and it wasn't going to be yep. ready. And if you, you know, for people listening, if you watch, or if you look back to those games, Cam was the starting five and was really, really good. And I remember you called me and you were frustrated, but there was a turning point in the conversation when you said, Reed, I'm not mad that he's playing over me because he's better than me right now. And I, and I remember like, I remember you saying he shed all this weight. He's worked his butt off. I want to play selfishly, but he's, it was like you flipped the switch where you understood I need to change my role right now. If I'm going to turn this into an enjoyable experience and boy, I think I can speak on your behalf when I say, I'm sure (laughs) that you are glad that you did that. (laughs) Yeah. It was, uh, you know, I, I remember having conversations with you, uh, you know, and and to be completely frank, I I had thoughts in my head of saying, you know, I've already got my college degree. I'm I'm in a grad program right now. Mm-hmm. I might I might just call it a day at Christmas time. Yeah, I there that was a legitimate thought in my head, and you know, I just like you just said, you know, thank goodness I didn't, obviously. But the uh, you know, it was never it was never an acceptance of me not playing. You know, I. 
I felt as though Cam Crutwig is 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 a better basketball player than me, and I understood that. Yeah, and he he had been playing so well, and our team had been performing at such a high level. But like you said, you know, I I did kind of have that moment of clarity where I was like, you know what, Cam Crutwig probably will play over me, and he'll probably continue to play over me because he's a hell of a player. Mm-hmm. But one of two things are going to happen if I continue to work hard. One, either I'm going to play, or two, I'm going to make Cam Crutwig and this team better every day in practice. Yep. So for me, it was it was a win-win every day of practice because, you know, I, I was going to compete as hard as I possibly could day in and day out, and some good was going to come out of it, either personally or for the sake of the team. And as a senior – you know, that's all you can really ask for because there's not going to be another season. It's not like I'm setting myself up for playing time the following year. It's, you know, this is my last go at this thing. And, you know, I wanted to get the best out of Cam and Cam obviously brought the best out of me. And, you know, the, the, the competition and the, the camaraderie that the, the two of us built uh, was something that, that really helped me, you know, continue through that year. Dude, I'm I'm telling you when when Ingram hit that shot and you guys <laughs> ran on the floor, I remember sitting on my couch thinking, "Thank you Jesus that he did not quit in December." <laughs> and that was a legitimate you know? thought as I watched you throw <laughs> your hands into the air. If if you're sitting at home listening to this, Google it and look for the 7-footer on the far left of the screen at the end of the bench, jump up and everyone ran and you had this half a second of just utter confusion as to what you were supposed to do. (laughs) Are you supposed to jump? Because you did that later at the end of a game, just stood into jumping jacks under the rim. Um, It was so fun to see that you didn't play and to see the amount of joy that you had in that experience. And so as that goes into coaching, you know, you talk about there's a personal aspect to this that you go there and your objective is to obviously help the team get as good as they can get. Right. So you guys can make a run and do everything. But as much as we say that there is that personal aspect, we would be lying if we said that there wasn't, how do you think that that experience, you going to Loyola, not the Final Four experience, but you going and not getting to necessarily play the role that you anticipated, how is that going to help you as a coach down the road? Because, listen, I spent seven years doing it. I talk to players all the time. It happens all the time where kids aren't playing the role they thought they would. How is that going to help you down the road? Well, I, I mean, for me, and obviously zero, sl- you know, zero slight to the other places that I've been, you know, I've, I was lucky to play at three, you know, three great universities. You know, I was, I've always been a guy that apparently has jumped around a lot. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I learned a lot at Utah State. I learned so much at UND in my time there. But that year at Loyola was, you know, that was the most growth I've ever had in a year. Not only as a basketball player and someone involved in basketball, but as a person, um, really kind of allowed me to see what I was made of uh, as far as, 
you know, personally dealing with some tough times. I was, I'm not ashamed to admit that I was, you know, I was embarrassed that I wasn't playing. Yeah. You know, my buddies would hit me up and say, Hey man, like what's, you know, what, how, how's the season been going? We haven't really seen you in any box scores or anything. Are you all good? And that was really tough. But at the same time, I could, like, I could genuinely feel myself just growing as a person, you know, kind of through those, those difficulties and those tough times of, of, you know, not living up to my own personal expectations. You know, I went, I went down to, I went down to Loyola and we had played one Valley school the year prior when I was at UND and I had 17 points against you and I. So my expectation was, Hey, I'm going to get a full year in the Valley and I'm going to go try and be an old Valley big. And I'm going to try and play in the G league and really make the most of this. That didn't happen. So kind of the, uh, changing it from a negative into a positive as far as what I could gain from it was the most important thing that I could do. So, you know, I guess comparing that to the coaching profession that I'm in now, there are going to be a lot of downtimes, you know, it's, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a lot of stuff that I've, you know, I've learned that in a year that uh, a lot of times as a coach, you're feeling overwhelmed and you're, you're, you know, you're after a loss, you're questioning, you know, what could I have done to help prevent this? But the fact that I have that, I guess that inner belief now that, I can grind through some difficult times, uh, you know, that, that's really going to help me in the long run, especially as a coach. I think that there is, there's a certain way that, that you can be raised where just obviously that there's a right way to go about things. Um, and, and you kind of pick up very quickly with people if they have that in them, whether they were raised that way or not. Um, talking about personal development when I graduated from high school, our custodian, um, I had gotten to know him pretty well. And I, he, he gave me a card. And in there, it said something like, somebody is always going to let you down. Just make sure it's not you. And I remember thinking about, you know what? I'm always going to be let down by somebody. I just never want to be, I don't want to get done and doing something and say, man, I'm embarrassed. How, how I went about this. I let myself down. Um, there's a way that you go about things the right way. And so instead of relying on other people, so, Hey, like, listen, you could have gone into that situation at Loyola and said, Hey, screw coach Mosier, right? This is on him that, or you can flip that and say, Hey, listen, what can I get out of this? I'm going to show up every single day because if you would have put it onto somebody else, I guarantee you, you would have let yourself down in the long run, but you didn't. You pushed through that, and and ultimately, I think that's going to benefit you down the road. And so you get done playing overseas. You go to UND. They got you on kind of like a video coordinator role. You get in the office with Nate Kading. Nate's a good buddy of mine. Nate has a reputation of being a grinder, mm-hmm. and you were given a 
list of tasks to do, I remember you called me and you were like, dude, I had no idea how hard you guys worked. Talk to me about like, like your first week on the job at UND. Um, and, and how that, how that met, if that met your expectations or, or what, talk to me about that. Oh, I, <laughs> that first week I was like, you know, at what point do you guys take a nap during the day? <laughs> like, like, like there's, there's, uh, you know, my first week there we were playing, uh, they had just finished up Omaha the night before I got there. My first game, I can't remember off the top of my head now, but. We were pre, or you know, those guys were already prepping for them, and I was there, and I was like, "All right, well, my mental list, I was like, well, we probably got to get personnel done. We got to get scout ready, you know, have our scout team ready to run through plays. Uh, aside from that, I mean, what what do we need to do?" <laughs> and right off the bat, Katie was like, "Hey, uh, I'm going to need you to take these travel receipts. I'm going to need you to." <laughs> scan each room and make a copy of each one. I'm like, you think I know how to use a fax machine? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, bro, I, I, I barely know how to make a phone call. So <laughs> there was like this, you know, there's kind of like this aha moment of like, man, there's so much more to this than I thought there was going to be. Like, and, and they even gave me you know, in, in retrospect, it was a pretty minute task of literally just charting how each guy in their top eight or so got their shots, you know, whether it was a, you know, a left to right crossover into a pull up, whether it was a face up on the right block. And it would take me eight hours to do something like that. And it really made me appreciate literally all that went into making a program run. I, I remember that phone call and I was like, so how's it going? And you were like, you you know, it's, it's good. And I'm like, Oh, so what do they got you doing? Well, you know, there's so much, dude, there's so much, there's so much that they have to do. Um, people think too, like with me, Hey, what do you do? You just do workouts all day. I'm like, listen, man, for every hour I spend on the court, I got like four or five hours right. at a computer, on the phone doing things like that. And you quickly, I would compare it to when you haven't squatted for a while and you squat and you're like, Oh, I have these little muscles in my rear end that I didn't know were there. I know they're there now. Cause they're pissed off. You have no idea all those little things that go into it. That's coaching. You really have no idea what goes into running a successful program until you're in the middle of it. Like, Hey, guess right. what? You can, uh, this has helped me so much in business. How do you know how to use that fax machine? I don't know, man. I was throwing a pile of receipts when I was 23 and told to figure <laughs> it out. Like, right. I think that's crazy. So you go from UND to UMD. So North Dakota to Duluth and Duluth is on the rise. Coach Wick, uh, we shared an office together for about two days at Minnesota State Moorhead as we were <laughs> But he was coming in. I was leaving. I love what he's doing. Love his personality. But then, like I said at the beginning of this, hiring Casey Brueggemann. The Brueggemanns grew up 15 minutes from my hometown in the middle of nowhere. Uh, just right. kind of recruited Casey, tried to get him at Bethel, tried to get Ryan at Moorhead. Um, 
being like an All-American, I can still say I was the only one to offer him a scholarship. <laughs> I just want to – is that a plug for myself? Sorry. Good, uh, good humble brag. Yeah. Um, but being around those guys, Casey's young. Justin's, you know, one of the younger coaches in the league, and they are making a splash. From your experience, obviously it was it was brief at UND from the coaching side, but what makes UND or UMD different? You know, it's you know you you, you said young. Obviously, Coach Wick is an extremely young head coach. You know, he was yeah you know, he was coaching even earlier as a head coach at Jamestown, um, and obviously Casey being you know he's. He's 26, you know, turning 27 soon, but being a top assistant in the NSIC, a high level one at that, at that age is, is, is pretty, pretty incredible. Uh, but the, I, I guess just kind of the, the camaraderie and the relationships that they have, you know, that they had already built, not only with our team, but kind of, you know, in our, in our recruiting base being, you know, being kind of the metro area in the Twin Cities. Um, was something that allowed me to kind of step in and just kind of follow their lead. I mean, they, I always kind of knew that my niche, at least early on in my, in my coaching career would be my ability to recruit the twin cities because, you know, I, obviously that's where I've, I've grown up and that's where I've lived my whole life. Uh, And I've, I've I've been lucky to build a lot of relationships along the way with people down here. Um, But, the uh you know the stake that they had already kind of built with the guys that you know i stepped into recruiting uh and with just kind of the the general uh area that we're in uh, you know that was something that really kind of blew my mind i was like these guys are doing things the right way they really they have a formula that's working and they're sticking to it one thing that i really I got excited about and obviously being connected with those guys a little bit before, but when I saw them start to recruit and, and watching them initially start to offer guys, you guys are at the division two level offer guys that everyone thought, Oh, that guy's a surefire division one guy. And I'm getting text messages from other guys in the league going, what are they doing up there? I'm like, well, listen, they're going to get one of them. And, and to see how they just said, hey, we're going to do what we think works. And if we have success, we're going to build on it. I've talked to another uh, young coach that's entering your league just now. Uh, and he said something of, dude, the young guys are beating the old guys. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, because we're finding stuff that works. We're being innovative. He goes, not all of it works, but we're not just feeling like we have to – do what we were taught when we came into coaching. Like think about, for example, Justin Wick becomes the video coordinator at Iowa at what, 23, 24 years old. And right. that that's 10, 11 years ago. Think about how life has changed in the coaching world in the last 11 years from synergy right. to the different technology things and utilizing social media in recruiting, which I think you guys are some of the best at. And they literally just said, why would we try to do something that I like Todd Licklider probably learned, taught him a ton of stuff and a ton of stuff, but the game was different back then. So you have to decipher what works in recruiting and what doesn't. And so one thing 
that I love about you guys is you guys have established a system that works for you. And so, you know, you mentioned being relationally driven and we've talked about you kind of being the tall guy, the, the guy who's cracking jokes. How has that helped you in building relationships from recruiting? Because I, I'll be straight up, Casey's funny and I love Casey, but Casey is not that. What Casey brings is something completely different, and I think you guys are polar opposites. How does that How does that help you guys, not only in recruiting, but also the two of you guys in the office or in the living room? <laughs> right. So, uh, I mean, first and foremost, I, I can say this without a doubt. Casey Brueggemann is the hardest working coach I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. And that that's, you know, I've been around, I've been super lucky to be around some unbelievable coaches like the first coach that i ever had in college was Stu moral who you know is one of the most successful head coaches in mid-major basketball history you know he had a run of 20 years where he was one of the best coaches in america you know then yeah. i transitioned to und brian jones is an absolute grinder like that guy is just lives in the film room i go to loyola porter moser just everything he does you know goes about yeah, everything he does is in relation to trying to improve the program. Obviously, Brian Mullins, his his assistant there, who's now the head coach at Southern Illinois, another guy that just grinded. But Casey Brueggemann, you know, he is a, he's a very creative, smart guy. But what sets him apart, he just works yep. and works and works. And you know, for me, kind of, you know. Not, not not being the opposite as far as the work that I'm putting in, but just kind of the way I go about things. Yep. Um, it really has been. Uh, it's it is it is really fun to kind of be the the yin to his yang as far as uh, you know. Obviously, one learning from him because there's just so much I can learn from from Casey and as well as Coach Wick. Um, but kind of that those contrasting styles of of kind of how we go about things is, you know, has, you know, has allowed us to see some, some success in, in recruiting and obviously um, uh, as well as winning some games early. But as far as me in, in recruiting, you know, it, he allows me to uh, do what I do best and continue to kind of perform in that role of kind of being the, uh, the big goofy guy that just says dumb stuff when we have a kid <laughs> on campus, you know, say dumb stories, be self-deprecating, you know, Brueggemann lobs me some softballs where I get to make fun of myself. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's Here's just, Shanks. It's a, Remember that stupid yeah. thing you did yesterday? Hit it out of the park. Oh, no. Casey, Casey has essentially trademarked the, uh, the persona of ah shucks shanks like ah oh, shucks so look at look at stupid carson with his, his funny ways oh. like it's and so being able to work with him especially in my first job uh has been so great because it's allowed me to really kind of integrate myself in a way that that i'm really comfortable in doing oh i i love that i think being comfortable is important at, at whatever you do. Um, if you're a basketball coach, if you're a basketball player, if you're a teacher, you're working in corporate America, being comfortable goes a long ways. Um, right. When, 
when I think about you coming to a workout back in your playing days, uh, what I loved was we do like the guards first. I remember it, we'd go to Champlin and we'd go at, at nine o'clock with the bigs and be like you and Jared Berggren. And then we typically have somebody else in that mix and you were late all the time, (laughs) all the time. Now you were driving from 45 minutes away during rush hour, but I was just like, Oh, it's eight 45. My phone ring buzzes. I don't even have to look It's shanks. He's 10 minutes late. (laughs) So I had the gym reserved from eight o'clock to noon. So it was like, okay, we have Nate Walters and those guys at eight. We have Shanks at nine. I'll keep the 10 o'clock hour open. Cause Lord knows Shanks is going to be a half hour late. So oh, we'll just God. come back again at 11. But what I loved is your ability to connect with people and make people laugh. We had Joe Hedstrom who plays at Wisconsin show up and you guys are going at it and just your ability to connect with, with people um, I think has been, uh, has been super fun to see. I don't think that we ever started a workout, even when you were there on time without you saying something stupid that had us on the floor laughing. (laughs) If, if we had Jared Bergen on right now, it was like, all right, we're doing like rip throughs and, and finish at the rim, get loose. And, and Jared would turn and like, would you shut up? And, <laughs> but as much as we said like, Hey Carson, shut up. We got to get to work. We loved every single minute of it. And there was no going back. Did you ever have any experiences in college, like during workouts where you did that and your team had to run because you just wouldn't stop telling a stupid story? <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> like, like, like a lot. Um, so for, first off in, uh, in terms of being late constantly, it, there was always this moment where, you know, so it was a 9am workout rush hour starts at what, like seven thirty, seven seven o'clock, somewhere in there on 494. Uh, there was always that moment in bed where I woke up at like 6.30 and I'm like, you know what? If I left right now, I could I could probably be there like 15 minutes early. But if I hit snooze three times, I just have to roll out of bed really quick and I can probably still get there close. But then, uh, I, yeah, I got to get gas. Yeah. Now, Reed will understand. It's all good. It's, it's... <laughs> You're, you're lucky I, I'm forgiving. Yeah, well, there was one time where I, I I really had to kind of look at myself in the mirror because I got there early and I thought I was making a statement. <laughs> like, like I got there like like 30 minutes early and I was like, yeah, I'm going to show Reed today. And I'm like, dude, Jared Bergen's already been here for an hour lifting. Doing, yeah, doing <laughs> mobility stuff at 7.15 for 45 minutes, lifting for an hour. You're like, Reed, what's up? I got here early. I'm like, Jared's been here for an hour and a half, dude. I don't know what to tell you. Um, a really good story that I have. Uh, good. This is really so, the only reason you're on this podcast is so you can tell stories. <laughs> so it took us a half hour to get into it. So start talking. <laughs> the... Uh, Coach Moser was was breaking something down. I think it was like the practice. It was like our first practice before our first conference game. Uh, 
and Krutwig and I, so we're we're kindred spirits. Like we we just talk about dumb stuff for the majority of practice. And like, you love we'll Chick Fil A. To... <laughs> we love Chick Fil A. So we'll we'll spend, you know, we'll spend thirty seconds of of trying to just bust our bust each other's heads open in the post, and then. As soon as the ball is dead, we'll say something stupid about like Saturday Night Live or Will Ferrell <laughs> or something. My kind of guys. <laughs> so we uh, we were talking, and I was, <laughs> and I just had Chipotle prior to. Dude, I knew Chipotle. It was going to take two <laughs> minutes before Chipotle came into this. I'm like, I'm. You would have Chipotle. I swear. At seven in the morning, get there for nine o'clock. You're like, dude, my stomach's not feeling good. I had Chipotle. I'm like, Shanks, it's eight forty-five. I don't know. If, side tangent. I don't know if you remember this, but our literally our first workout. Our yes, first our first, our first other. workout. First, hey, I'm Reed. By the way, I'm Carson. I have to go to the bathroom because I had Chipotle. <laughs> the literally like it's like thirty minutes prior, you know, just downed a couple burritos with extra hot salsa on it. Which is and, probably the <laughs> most intelligent thing you could have done in the moment. Uh, so, anyways, uh, Chipotle, Crowley and I are talking about it, and I'm like, man, you know, without getting too descriptive, I was like, hey, man, we're gonna have some problems here for the rest of this practice. I'm, I'm struggling. I, I made a horrible decision. <laughs> like, like, why, why did I get that second burrito an hour prior to practice? Oh my. So, and it's not as gross as you think it's going to be, but Coach Moser's talking, and I'm not, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> I, I had no idea what was going on. Krowig and I were just talking, and Krowig has the unbelievable innate ability to, to multitask and, and really absorb everything while also messing around. So Coach is in the middle of this, of, of explaining some sort of scout key, and I let out the biggest burp that I've ever had in my entire life. Like it, it filled the entire gymnasium. It was unbelievable. And I let out, I said, ah, crap, except it wasn't crap. And I said it really loud, not realizing what had just happened. <laughs> and, and immediately. And you got to think about this at the time. I, I mean, I'm not playing. So, so coach Moser doesn't want me to talk like, like do fulfill your role on scout team and don't be a nuisance during practice. <laughs> like you're a fifth year senior. And I let this burp out and he literally looks at me and just goes, Fudge, what the F <laughs> Except it wasn't F. <laughs> and I was like, Coach, I'll be honest with you. I I don't really know what I just did, but I apologize. <laughs> and <laughs> And I, you know, there's been those moments too, where, you know, I was always the guy with, with, you know, when you split up guards and bigs and the the bigs go to one end where, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get the guys loose, trying to get the guys ready to go for practice, you know, trying to bring a little juice to the gym where, you know, I, I remember Steve Grabowski, who's now at Utah state saying, Carson, just shut the hell up. <laughs> Like, should I just shut up? Like, I appreciate what you're trying to do, but just shut up. And so I'm, 
I'm I'm trying I'm trying to learn on the job here as far as when I need to just shut my mouth because there's been a couple times even this past year with Coach Wick, and and you know Coach Wick he is one of the most easygoing people in the entire world, and he never yelled at me in front of the guys, but I could tell like I got a I got a stern dad look where I'm like, <laughs> yeah, all right, all right, Shanks, we got we got to dial it down a notch. We, we, we got to figure out to, to pick and choose our places a little bit better. So didn't you correct me if I'm wrong. When you were at UND, didn't you say something in the huddle as the video guy last year that you shouldn't have? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come on guys. I, I, let's, Let's go. Don't you ever yeah. do that again in my huddle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, I got a little too comfortable in that huddle. That was, <laughs> you know, because it was a bunch of guys that I just got done playing with. So I was, yeah. you know, I just, I reverted back to player Carson. <laughs> and I, I thought Brian Jones was going to go sit me in the stands. Like, <laughs> it was... Dude. Like, I'm like, oh, it was a fun ride at being a coach. For the two Ryan weeks that I've been fire. here. I'm a, I'm a volunteer video coordinator. I'm you got fired. fired from being a volunteer. <laughs> I remember you calling and you're like, so I was, we were coming out of the huddle and I leaned in and I, and I, as soon as you said, and I leaned in, I was like, oh no, don't tell me you talked in the huddle. You, you've been there a week and a half. You're the, vo- don't tell me. Oh yeah. Coach Jones. Um. Yeah, I'm not gonna do that again. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's you know I was already kind of in the doghouse because I God, I was just I was supposed to bring the board out to him, <laughs> and I'm the, I'm the type that you know I like to stare around at the at the stands and look at the pretty lights and stuff, <laughs> and, and, and I've, I've just got the board in hand. And there was like three times where, where Nate Kading had to just take the board out of my hands and just go give it to Coach Jones. Shanks, you got one job. <laughs> the shiny lights. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, really – the, uh, the focus is something I'm still really working on. Uh, however, I'm, I'm, I'm getting better. Uh, Day by day, Brueggemann's conditioning me a little bit better. I oh, I I love these stories. Talk to me about your last summer playing in the pro am. You were on Team Tyus. Tyus comes in, screws me over. I'm just kidding. Tyus <laughs> takes all of my guys. He takes you. Takes Quentin Hooker. Just takes all my guys, just and then steals Parker Fox midseason. We won't talk about that. <laughs> I had an axe you to know. grind with Tyus. I don't have to call him. Um, no, talk to me <laughs> about having to guard six eight, two hundred and seventy pound point forward Royce White. <laughs> so yeah, first and foremost, I appreciate you not talking about the the uh, the Catalyst Training Team Tyus Parker Fox game. Uh, <laughs> Those, that's, those, that's some tape that I wouldn't mind if it got burned. Um, Did he talk smack between, like when you guys shook hands this year? Like, hey, remember that time when I dunked on you seven times a year oh, ago? No, it was it was it was a real quick handshake that I, I didn't allow the opportunity. <laughs> I, I was it was a business decision. 
Uh, hey, good game. Moving well, on. That, that was also the game where Ryan Brueggemann had 40 purely just because I refused to get up in my ices. Because uh, <laughs> because Ryan Brueggemann shoots 89% from 17 feet. He legitimately, so, I don't know if you saw this, but I had Joe Gill on and Joe did the statistics. I think Ryan Brueggemann led the country at all levels his senior year on points per possession on long twos. <laughs> like legitimately led the country at all levels. And people are like, yeah, he's kind of deadly. No, no, no. He is the deadliest, like legitimately the deadliest. <laughs> so yeah, he scored 40. Cause you didn't guard him. Pretty much. Uh, well, and again, we're, we're not trying to get Tyus mad here, but so Ty, Tyus was <laughs> guarding him. And I, I guess I wasn't necessarily in position to yell at Tyus. To yeah, get over a ball screen a little bit harder, <laughs> considering that he had like just sent the like the assist to turnover ratio NBA record, like shattered it, and, and 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 I just got done pretending to be Mo Wagner on the Loyola Scout team. <laughs> so <laughs> the uh, the championship game in that pro am, uh, so. I, I, you know, I had played a, a pretty decent role on that team. Like, you know, I, you know, I was, I'm seven feet tall and just got done playing divisional basketball. So I hope I would, I'd be pay, playing a, a decent role. Uh, <laughs> and we get to the championship game and Royce's team, they had a big, and I'm not, I can't remember who their big was, but he was who I guarded during the regular season. And I had good games against them. Uh, but then, then they just decided to go death lineup and put Royce at the five. <laughs> and pr- so, pr- so prior to that, uh, I was dating a girl and that's, 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 that's as far as I'll go with it. And I invited her to come to the championship game because I'm like, you know Smart. what? I'm going to show, I, I'm going to show out a little bit here. I'm going to go win a title. I'm going to be the talk of the town. <laughs> and, and first play, I'm guarding Royce White. I'm like, you know, this just isn't the position that I wanted to put myself in. Yeah, this is not Fine. ideal. <laughs> this, this is not. This is a. This is a tough look for me, um, because I think the first play, I'm like, all right. Well, I'll probably try and make Royce shoot, but then if I give Royce a full head of steam, <laughs> it's really it's really gonna hurt when he hits me. Yep. Uh, so first first time I was like, all right, I'll let him shoot. And he didn't take the bait and he went by me and it hurt me, hit me in the ribs and then went and scored <laughs> on me. So um, confidence is already a little bit low. I'm looking up at the stands, family and, and girl that I at the bright her. at the bright the the bright lights, right? <laughs> the the bright <laughs> the bright lights. Uh so confidence is a little shook. Uh come down. You know, they're not guarding me. I've got on the lineup that we have going is Tyus Jones, Quentin Hooker, Dustin Frank, I think Mike Bruzewitz. So why do, why would they guard Shanks? Yeah. So I'm, you know what? I get a shot off at 17 feet, and I'm like, you know what? This is really, this shot's going to tell me how the rest of this game goes for me. Because if I miss this. <laughs> the confidence is out the window. Great I don't even know if I can show that. 
So I put it up, and I don't think I hit the rim. Um, <laughs> and, and essentially for the rest of the game, I just became a breather for Mike Bruzewitz. <laughs> and there was a couple times where Mike tried to get a sub, and I uh, – No, you're I good, man. Pull. You're good. Push through, I, buddy. Yeah, I, uh, I, yeah, my hammy's hurting, Mike. Uh, you might have to tough this one out. Oh. So <laughs> aside from uh, disappointing – the girl I was dating and my family and all my friends that were in attendance as you know, for the championship game, uh, it was a very successful, very successful season for me. In the <laughs> I remember having conversations. How do you guard Royce? Someone's like, well, it's simple. You back off him. He doesn't want to shoot it. I'm like, and you're going to let six, eight two seventy run at me. Not a chance. So here's, here's you. They go dribble handoff with Royce as the one. Here's you out there in a stance trying to keep him in front at 37 <laughs> feet because you're you're like I'd rather him go around me than run right at me because I might die. <laughs> I uh, I think I picked up my second foul like four minutes in because I I literally just made a decision that yeah I don't really know how much I want to play in this game. <laughs> So I, <laughs> I just took a nice little poke at the ball and immediately put my hand up and just started running. You're like, that was me. That, no, call the foul. <laughs> yeah. call, blow the whistle. I, I fouled him. <laughs> so, yeah, Pro-Am, uh, you know, I, uh, I, was, I was a little bit hurt that, that I wasn't wanted back on Team Tyus. But, um, you know, I, I, I win, Reed. That's what I do. You know, that was uh, – <laughs> It's just, it's just what I do. Oh my and, gosh! You know, so, yeah, that was that was that was a hell of an experience, uh, and I don't miss being torched by Ryan Brueggemann or being hurt by Royce White or getting dunked on by Parker Fox, but I'll always have those memories. <laughs> I always have them to hold on to. <laughs> who in your AAU days? Who's the best player that you ever played against? Oh, without a doubt, Julius Randall. Julius Randall. Okay, so this team, I'm playing for 43 hoops as a 12U player. I've got Quentin Hooker on my team. I've got a few other guys that ended up playing like high-level NFC ball. Uh, Graham Woodward was on the team uh, who played at Penn State and Drake. Um, so we're killing. We're killing in Minnesota. There's no one that can touch us in Minnesota. I'm – I'm 12 years old and I'm six foot six. Uh, <laughs> right there. I'm, I'm 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 putting on an absolute show in uh, warmups during war during warmups because I'm slapping the foam on the backboard. <laughs> <laughs> and we're playing Houston Hoops. Houston yep. Hoops has the Har- has the Harrison Twins, has Justin Jackson who now plays for the Sacramento Kings, and has Julius Randle who is a 20 point a game scorer for the New York Knicks. So we go down to this Vegas tournament, and this is my first real taste of, of, of basketball outside of Minnesota. And I kid you not, I think they were up by like 70 in the first half. Okay? <laughs> so it was, it, was, it, was, it was a really tough, tough introduction. Uh, and similar to kind of the Royce White thing, you know, I think Julius Randle probably had 30 on me in the first half. And uh, I fell down at the jump ball which was a tough look. Uh, so, so Julius is, is cooking. You, me. Hold up. You didn't have a girlfriend 
at that game. Did you? you didn't fly like you're a 12 year old girl, or you could probably like a 17 year old girlfriend because you were already six six. Oh, I hopped on AIM afterwards and talked to AIM, and, and and I, uh, I you let just, her know that I just you snuck into I the business. Randall, he just snuck into the business lounge at the Orleans. <laughs> I had to, uh, yeah, she would have been mad if I didn't just oh. messenger after the game. Uh, but similar to the Royce White <laughs> thing, uh, I, I had a I had a decision to make in the second half. You know, we were down by probably 60, 65. We had made, a, we had made like a 5-0 run to cut it to 65. Uh, and Julius Randle is coming at me in a really kind of scary, aggressive way. I, I'm on an island. They've, they've spread the floor because they've got three draft picks. Shooters galore. <laughs> and he's coming right at me. And to be fair, he... He hit me in the gut pretty hard. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I go down because it hurt. And I had a decision to make. You know, I'm 12 years old. I hopefully have a lot of basketball ahead of me. Do I do I stay on the ground or do I get up and try to keep guarding this guy? And it was a very easy decision just to stay down. <laughs> it, 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 you, you would have thought my rib was it just punctured my my abdomen, and so Michael Shanks, my dad, is on the bench. Oh, he's, I he's love pissed. Mikey. <laughs> he's 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 pissed off at me because because his boy's being soft, which I was, which but you were. It was it, 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 which I've got no qualms in saying that I was, uh, and but you know business decision was made at that point you know what we're gonna we'll, we'll we'll attack this another day i'll i'll take the l on this given day uh so julius randall i don't know if he's gonna listen to this or not but he shaped my basketball career from then on out oh wow he's such, had an impact that he has no <laughs> idea <laughs> he has, it's the ripple effect oh my goodness who i know you are a diehard minnesota fan like Minnesota sports fan. So what I like to ask people on this podcast, if you've listened to one all the way through, is what's your what is your most memorable, bad Minnesota sports moment? Like heartbreaking. Uh, that's a really good question. I think the easy one. Is is Favre throwing the pick against the Saints in '09? Yeah. I, I think that's the easy one, so that's up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the rest of my life, I will never forget the most random NBA player of all time breaking my my Timberwolf heart in 2004 when Kareem Rush <laughs> hit six threes in the second half to knock out the Minnesota Timberwolves in the Western Conference Finals in Game 6. That is crazy because you're young enough that you probably don't even you, – you don't really remember Gary Anderson missing against the Falcons, do you? I was I was four. I remember Dad crying, and that's about it. <laughs> so everyone says that. You have, I think it was Nate Poole from the Cardinals, who the Cardinals were playing for absolutely <laughs> nothing. The the Vikings had started six and all that season. Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah, that. I think Bruzewitz said that Anthony Peeler bricking shots. I think he was talking about that <laughs> that same series where it was just like 
Oh, I guess we're in the playoffs this year. Cool. When are we going to lose? The, the, uh, yeah, it was, it was a real, it's been a real emotional roller coaster as a Minnesota fan. Like I've kind of gotten out of the crying phase as far as good. Cause you're like seven, you're like seven, one and you're in your mid twenties. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know why I do it. It's, it sucks. You know, I've like Quentin, Quentin's a Packers fan, Quentin Hooker. Uh, I knew I liked like him. I, I, there's, shut up, <laughs> you, uh, dude! You just lobbed that one and said it here for me. The, uh, you know, I wish I could just jump on a bandwagon, but it's just not in my heart to do so. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm loyal. I'm loyal. I'm loyal to my guys. <laughs> so here's one for you: as a seven footer, it's got to be incredibly difficult for you to find clothes. Mm-hmm. How would you describe your coaching attire on the sideline? Are you like <laughs> classic? Are you the guy that's going to go like the loafers with no socks? Do you, do you like, do you have a, like a crazy sock collection? Are you like the, uh, the little handkerchief in the pocket, you know, fill I, me I in. Cause I see you have like a, a maroon sports coat. I've got a maroon blazer, and that thing that looks was, nice. That thing was brought out on a, on a, on senior night this past year. Um, I hope Wick doesn't listen this far into it uh, because <laughs> because I I got so much crap for okay. So it's our NSIC playoff game. We're hosting. We're playing Concordia St. Paul. Yep, I watched. I, I have a major. Uh, malfunction with some clothes. Okay, so they were supposed to be picked up the dry cleaners. They weren't ready, so I had to, I, I had an emergency suit that I that I always had at the at the apartment, which is the most sensible thing I've ever done in my entire life. I'm actually However, so surprised and proud of you. <laughs> so the I go I, I'm I go home and I'm. I'm pissed because I'm like, hey, I, I, had a, I had a good suit picked out to wear for the night, kind of a special occasion. Yeah, look good, feel wait. good, feel good, coach yeah. good. I was I was ready to roll. Um, however, it was the suit that uh, I was supposed to wear in my buddy Eric's wedding. Nice. And that was about a, a year prior. You got to think that a year prior, I was seven foot, two hundred forty pounds. I was in playing shape. Yes. I am now seven foot, 265 pounds, not in playing shape. <laughs> so I try to put on the pants and the pants don't fit. Uh, the jacket barely fits. Okay. Yeah. I've got some Lululemon kind of like sporty dress pants that, that I was going to throw on and just wear socks and have kind of a normal attire. Yep. Those don't fit me. Those 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 go up to my mid my mid shin. So I made the decision at that point that I had to be okay with being the Capri coach. I, I had to be okay with being the guy that doesn't wear socks and wears capris. <laughs> Justin Wick still has a suit that I think was worn in the two thousand three NBA draft. So <laughs> There's a real contrast of styles 
I think him and Tyson Chandler had the exact same suit. Uh, so I'm, I walk into the office with this and immediately Brueggemann and Wick are like, Oh, heck no. What are you wearing? They thought it was a joke. I'm like, I'm doing my best here, man. I'm really doing my best. Uh, so, with that being said, uh, I like I like to try and try and dress out a little bit. Uh, you know, I I love being the center of attention. So, yeah, you want to take the uh, attention off of your guys, <laughs> put it so that they can just go play well and just put the attention on you. Selfish. Yeah, no, it's actually it's, super, it's, it's actually super. It's such a like hum, like humble thing to do <laughs> to put it on true. yourself selflessness oh what is the what do you think the craziest thing i can't dude i can't even do this <laughs> we're gonna edit we're, we're, gonna have to, we're gonna we're gonna have to edit this no what do you what do you think the craziest thing that is that you've done in your life in the game of basketball coaching playing that you got done and you just said why did i do that <laughs> uh. That's a great question. Besides um, burping during scout at Loyola. <laughs> the uh So, let me think. Uh Lori Markinen during the NCAA tournament just about broke my hand because I grabbed his short strings during a free throw blackout. Nice. Um and I think he swore at me in finish. <laughs> Um, so there's, there's that, that, that's the one that kind of sticks out to me. Um, uh, another one is, uh, dunking against NDSU at their place and proceeding to get, and, and proceeding to talk all, I, I said every swear word that you could possibly think of and, and not really in a way that not to sense. like form a sentence, just, yeah, no, it was, uh, but then proceeding to have Dexter Warner score his career high on me. Uh, so I kind of set myself up for that one. I think I threw a behind the back pass once, um, <laughs> that I, I don't think has landed yet. Uh, <laughs> That uh, I'm actually I I I'm kind of picturing you doing this, and I'm actually picturing like a four hopper, like a two on one fast break. (laughs) That instead of like just putting it on a line or skipping it, that it just like took four hops to cover like lane line to lane line. (laughs) The uh, well, the issue was, and this is why I. I didn't get to play basketball longer because I have no use of my left hand. Uh, <laughs> trust, I, trust me. I trained <laughs> you for a couple of years. I'm aware. So I, uh, I had a good freshman year as far as scoring the ball in the block. So I started to get double teamed starting my sophomore year, mm-hmm. like pretty consistently. So I tried to Quentin hookers come down the lane and I'm on the, if you're facing the basket, I'm on the left block. So I'm trying to drop it off to him in the middle of the lane with the behind the back left-handed pass. I think this is going to end up looking like Bill Walton, Nikola Jokic. Like, this is this is going to be, Midco is going to be replaying this for years. 
And I, I was like, all right, I'm going to have to overcompensate as far as how hard I throw this because I've never thrown this before. Which is, as a coach, which is something that we always... Which is what you want to hear. Like, hey, I know you've never worked on this ever before, but just let it loose. <laughs> I, if, uh, if I remember correctly, it, it, it literally, at no point did the, did the ball get below... 12 feet until it went into the stands at the Betty Engelstad Sioux Center. There, there, there's, I'm sure if you go on synergy, yeah, I, you know, it might, it might not even register as a turnover. It might just be its own separate category. <laughs> what, what, what was, is that? there a miscellaneous, is that. there a miscellaneous <laughs> tab on synergy? <laughs> it was, uh, yeah. So I, I got taken out after that. Uh, I think I don't think I went back in that game. So uh, that grabbing Laurie Markinen's uh, short strings, uh, saying forty-eight swear words in succession. Uh, <laughs> it's like saying the alphabet just... except swear words. You just <laughs> said as many as you could. Uh, I've done I've done a lot of dumb stuff on the court range. I do I did remember uh, we talked about the NBA draft before you went to Loyola. Like, hey, you know, who should the Timberwolves take it? Like number nine or something. They need to take Mark in and he's so good. And I'm like, why? And all of a sudden I go home and I'm like, Oh yeah, because he absolutely smacked you in the NCAA tournament. Literally literally two weeks removed from him just busting my ass in the tournament. <laughs> It's like that's why Shakes is such a marketing <laughs> guy, and he's he's bilingual right now because he learned to, he can speak another language or at least a Finnish <laughs> Finnish swear word. So yeah, I mean, there's that's a tough question. There's only there's almost too many to count to be honest with you. I'm actually proud of you that you attempted a behind that you've only attempted one behind the back pass. Oh no. You you look it up against Presentation <laughs> College, my junior year. I had one fast break in my entire career, one. I got it. Uh, someone pitched it ahead to me because I leaked out because we were up by like forty five, and there was a guard running with me that caught up to me. I had like I had like twenty feet in front of him, and he caught up to me. In and I'm two, just slapping in the ball. Two strikes. I, I'm just. I'm literally just slapping the ball into the ground, trying to make it to the basket. Uh, and there's a trailer behind me, Corey Baldwin. And I drop, I dropped him off a nice little behind the back pass. And I had a girl in the crowd that, that game as well. So I, <laughs> the, the, the celly was phenomenal. The celly. Uh, so, so I was one for two on behind the back passes in my career. Did you get in trouble for that one? Uh, I think it was kind of expected of me by that point. So was that, was was that before or after the one that went 12 feet into the stands? (laughs) That was, that was post hitting season ticket holders in the face. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. Oh, 
I hope that our listeners think this is funny because I have the hiccups over here. I'm laughing so hard. So if this doesn't sound good, people are going to be like, wow, we have to mute Reed's entire track because he just laughed for an hour straight. Um, kind of as we bring this to a close, one of the things that I like to ask people that come on, you know, the, the podcast is referred to or is called the drawing board and the idea of when – when things are kind of going all over the place and, and you have to you kind of re reassess what's going on, going back to the drawing board. How do you, how do you go about that? What's kind of your, your thought process there? You know, for me, it really is, you know, from a basketball perspective, um, you know, I had always kind of considered myself a film guy. I always loved watching film, whether it's on myself, the opponent or our team. Um, so from a basketball perspective, you know, especially getting into the coaching business now, I, I realize that there's so much, you know, you have to watch, you know, 10 times as much film as a coach as opposed to a player, you know, and that's not always easy to do. Uh, so from a just a pure coaching standpoint and just trying to understand the game a little bit better day in and day out, uh, you know, film and just kind of the – just kind of the monotonous process of just watching film every day is just something that I've really tried to improve on. Yeah. Uh, but just as an overall, just kind of like guide back to, you know, try, you know, trying to center myself or whatever it may be, you know, it's, it's the daily, it's the daily bonds that are made with, with players and with, with people that I've made relationships with through basketball that's kind of what centers me as far as, you know, if I'm having a tough day, yeah. you know, if, if I feel as though I, uh, I messed something up on a scout or I forgot a receipt or, or something along those lines, you know, you know, calling you or calling one of my old coaches or calling one of my old teammates or just talking to one of our guys and just kind of reminiscing over a, you know, a funny memory that we have together. You know, that's, that's something that, I know I can always lean back on, you know, I'm, I'm a yeah. guy that really, really depends on the relationships that I, that I form because they mean a lot to me. Uh, so that, that is kind of my getting back to the drawing board, uh, you know, tactic as far as, you know, really trying to find, uh, I guess, find myself in, in difficult situations. Uh, so obviously from basketball perspective, you know, again, film and just film and film and film and film and really digging into that but overall just you know relying on what got me into the situation that i'm in and that's you know that's my you know my love of creating relationships with people i think that's what connected the two of us together pretty quickly for sure um is people tell me all they talk to me about the hoop stuff and they say man you know it's super cool that you know you found your passion and i said right. uh, basketball isn't my passion. I think I'm good at it. I think I'm good at teaching the game. I think I'm good at connecting things together, but I love people. I love relationships and I, and I super competitive and basketball and coaching checks all of those boxes. And so, right. um, you find that, find something that you're good at, find something that scratches a competitive itch and, and builds relationships. I think you, you've hit the trifecta. Um, and you kind of went into 
without knowing kind of the, the last thing that I like to talk about is, you know, basketball has given me some of my fondest memories, uh, but it's also given me my best friends. And I right. know that, you know, I, I've talked about this before, Justin DeGrude, Chris Vanderheide, two guys that I coached with at Bethel, um, flew to Ohio and literally picked me up off the parking lot when my mom died and helped raise my little siblings while my mom was in the hospice house. Right. Like I, I FaceTime with Justin's three-year-old daughter and it's like uncle Reed. Um, and, and those types right. of things, actually funny story. They're looking at the Costco, um, catalog the other day and there's this massive, like, um, sandbox playset with the slide and everything like you need like an right. acre for it she zoe goes I, I, <laughs> mom i want to get this and I, her mom's initial like no 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 was like um we don't have space <laughs> for it she goes okay i'm gonna call reed like all right sweet like justin's like go right ahead but fun uncle reed. yeah call call <laughs> fun uncle reed but but basketball has brought me that and i love watching my friends and their team's I love watching my players compete, but basketball has brought us so much. You know, when you kind of, when you look back, because I don't think we reckon, like I never recognized how important Justin and Vandy were to me until all of a sudden it was like, my mom died and I haven't coached with these guys in like three years and they're four or five years and they're here. Looking back, like hindsight's twenty twenty. how how has basketball impacted your life in ways that you were maybe unaware of at the time? You know, I mean, you, you were, you know, you're spot on as far as, uh, you know, most of the, you know, most of the most important people in my life uh, are, you know, people that I've, I've, I've gotten to know through basketball, uh, you know, I was in Quentin Hooker's wedding last, uh, you know, this last summer. Yeah. I never would have known. He's, he's been my best friend since I was 12 years old. Never would have met him without basketball. Uh, you know, all these, all these lifelong relationships that have been built, uh, for me have been built through basketball in one way or another. And, you know, there's something my dad, my dad told me, uh, my freshman year, it was the first game I was eligible at, at UND after transferring there. And I, it was my, you know, it was the first good game I had at UND. We, we got a win at Montana state. My dad made the drive out there and, you know, he said something that really resonated with me and it, it's kind of how I approach, I approach this game. Um, and it's, you know, basketball, basketball is going to take from you sometimes. Sometimes it's, it's, it's really going to hurt. It's not going to be your friend, but you got to think about all the things that basketball has given you and whether or not things go the way you want it to, whether that's winning or losing or, you know, getting the job you want, getting the offer you want, whatever it is, the good, if you let it, will always outweigh the bad. Um, uh, so, you know, it's, it's crazy how, how starting to play a game when you're five years old, you know, really does just kind of shape your life as yeah. far as how you're going to live it the rest of your life. It's going to put you in contact with people that you love. It's going to, you know, give you memories that you'll never forget. Um, so it is, you know, like you just said, you know, 
it's not something you're necessarily aware of at the time, but, you know, if you really think about it, you know, how many, especially for, for guys like us that are, that are coaching people, working people out, interacting with people, you know, how many of these interactions would be had if, if we weren't doing what we were doing, you know, how many people would we have, you know, how do we meet these people? How do we, it's, it's, it's crazy how everything's interconnected just through, through this game. Um, so, you know, the game gives and the game takes away, but it, it, it gives a lot more than it takes away for me. I I could not agree more. When I was living in New York City and, and Jersey City, I was flying back and forth, running camps and doing workouts. And I think there was like 22 or 23 airports in a row that I was in that I ran into somebody that I either knew from coaching right. or they saw a you know a logo on a shirt and was like hey you know do you know so and so like you even mentioned Grabowski like I was at my brother in law's bachelor party in Delaware and we were flying back in like the out of Washington D C and I turn around and it's like that's Grabowski like you know <laughs> and, and and just to see the connections that this game brings it, it's truly remarkable it's um I, I think what it does is it takes people. Uh, it's, it's, you're going to laugh at this. It's like Tinder in a sense. <laughs> um, you're going to, I know you'd love that analogy, but, or Is, have you, have, have you used the Tinder analogy with anyone? Else no, I, it actually just came to me, which is weird. Cause I don't even know what the <laughs> app is. I've been married like almost five years. Um, I've never used it. I'm just assuming that you have. Um, but, but what you right? you're able to kind of find out, find common interest match.com we'll right. use that right and then it puts it matches you with people basketball does that so if you're a basketball coach there's a chance that hey i don't know you but you're probably competitive hey i'm competitive too hey you probably love impacting people hey that's me too right and next thing you know you're at a final four convention filled with five thousand people that have a lot of the same interests and right. what that does is it, it connects people, draws people together. I mean, how many times do you find a random stranger that says, hey, man, I played at UND. Bada bing. Next thing you know, you're talking for, for 20 minutes because you have mutual connections. And you really don't even know who the, who the person is or what their name is. But it brings, right. people, it brings people together. I'm glad it brought us together. Thank you for taking the time. I mean, I know that you're super busy during quarantine. So thank you for taking uh, an hour and a half out of your time just to, to get connected. But um, I appreciate you, brother. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me. It's uh, hopefully, hopefully I didn't say too many dumb things that, you know, hopefully Wick doesn't get too mad at me or Casey doesn't get too mad at me. That's uh this is a this is a great excuse for me not to be doing stuff too. So I appreciate you. Yeah, hopefully uh, you will become yeah. a best friend of the pod, maybe a recurring guest. <laughs> give me I'm 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 on I'm on that. Give me give me give me that shot and I promise I will not disappoint. Awesome. Well I appreciate you, my man. We'll talk soon. <laughs> I appreciate it, Reed. That was Carson Shanks, assistant men's basketball coach at the University of Minnesota Duluth. That interview was brought to you by The Film Room, our free online coaches education platform. For more information, visit basketballcatalyst.com slash filmroom. We'll see you next week.